So we've been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' sermon in which he preached on top of a mountain, and we begin to show the kingdom ethics. Ultimately, what does it look like for those of us who follow Christ to live in what is the, called the already but the not yet? Meaning the kingdom that is already here through the preaching and the power of the spirit of the gospel, but then not yet fully because there's brokenness and there's sin, there's decay in us and in the world around us. And so Jesus begins to lay out the ethics of what it looks like to partake and to live in in response to the life and love of his life, to, to follow him in his kingdom. So before we get to chapter 5, where the Sermon on the Mount starts, we see Jesus himself is establishing his kingdom. He starts off with this announcement, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that meant something for this audience. Matthew's gospel, the primary audience, were people who were Jewish men and women and children. They would have heard the kingdom of God, meaning God has broken in in human history to bring about the restoration that he had promised through the prophets years before. And so Jesus began to show glimpse of what this kingdom would look like. So in areas where people were blind, he gave them sight. Where people were lame and they could not walk, he allowed them to walk. Where people were possessed by demons, he cleansed them. And he showed a sign of what the kingdom of God will fully look like when it's all the way here. And then he began gathering a people to include in the people of God that would live in, on mission for him. And the way he did that, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. Meaning if you've been walking in direction of a different belief system or ideology that you are about face to turn, look at the work of Christ, receive it by grace as a gift, and then live in to the kingdom and join in what it is that God is doing in the world. And we started this series looking at the Beatitudes, and Jesus says, this is what the truly happy life looks like. It's not about the possessions that you have in this world, but ultimately it's acknowledging that you are poor in spirit. That when it comes to a right relationship with God, it is not something that you bring spiritually, which God will accept you, but all you need to do is accept his acceptance of you. Acknowledging that you don't bring anything to the table, but God gives it by his grace. And then what happens is, now that we've received this grace, we begin to have in us a thirst and a hunger for justice and for righteousness. And when we live it out as a community, we become, as Jesus says, light in a world that's dark or salt in a world that's decaying. And that the way we live it out is that our righteousness is a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the religious do-gooders of their day. But Jesus says it's not about doing more, but it's about going deeper into the heart, realizing it is a spirit that writes the law on our hearts that we may now have a right motivation to live out in obedience in response to the life and love of Jesus. And then in chapter 6, we begin to look at all the many beautiful things that Jesus says about our Father. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites trying to get people to see that you are a good prayer, but just know that your Father sees you. When you fast, don't try to let everybody know that you're fasting, just know that your Father sees you. And when you give, you don't need to blow the trumpet, your Father sees you. Your Father knows what you need. Your Father gives you daily bread. Your, forgot, your Father is forgiven you. Your Father this, your Father that. And last week, he says, your Father knows what you need. You don't have to worry about what to eat or drink. You see these birds, Jesus says? They don't do anything, and they're taken care of. How much more does your Father love you? He's saying that ultimately, as we live into the kingdom, we understand that in Christ Jesus, we have a Father who is his Father as our God, who knows what we need. And so Jesus says, therefore, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of heaven, and all its righteousness, and all the things you need, they will be added to you. So our first and focus is ultimately relating to God. 
Well, when we get into the text this, this evening, what we'll see is Jesus begins to quote, um, or excuse me, to say a verse that many people know, do not judge. And from there, he talks about relationship. And so in essence, for us to understand the context of what's happening here, we need to see that Jesus is relating to this. Um, there's at least two assumptions in this text that we need to know. One assumption is that we have experienced and know grace, God's unmerited favor, which is given to us. That the Father loves us because he loves us, not because of anything that we do. That we understand grace and that our sins have been forgiven and that God himself is providing even our material needs as well as our spiritual needs. That those things go hand in hand. But he assumes that we know that. That the person who understands this grace, that they would be able to 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 do this grace to somebody else. And so they they, they have that too, right? It's five o'clock. Sometimes I just get tongue twisted. It's all good. Um, and also, the second assumption here that we have is that we are in community. Like, Jesus assumes that you're going to be walking your faith out and living it out alongside other people. That this is not going to be an individual sport, right? In, in fact, the easiest thing to do as a Christian is to show up to a service, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, or whatever we're doing that Sunday, right? And then, and then hear a sermon, sing some songs, and then leave. That's the easiest thing to do. But what it looks like is worked out in the context of us receiving and walking in that grace, giving it to others as we walk alongside others and others walk alongside us. Amen? So so with that, we get into the text that we have this morning. And so I, I believe that the best way to set this up is a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to paraphrase the parable. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, and it's a parable of the unfaithful servant. And Jesus tells this story. He goes, there was a man. There was a man. I'm paraphrasing it. There was a man who owed a lot of money to the king, like more money than you can even imagine. He had brought the king's money. He had bought all sorts of Jordans and white tees, some rims, tinted windows, some flaming hot Cheetos, the whole deal, right? And so this guy owed the king a ton of money, and he could not pay the king back. And the king came to him and said, where's my money? He said, I don't have it. And there's no way I'm going to be able to pay off this, this debt. In fact, the debt is like billions and billions of dollars in our day. And he said, I cannot pay it off. And the king's like, you're done. I'm taking you, your wife, your kids. You guys are all gone. And he pleaded with him. He says, I'll pay it off. I'll, I'll do whatever I can. The king was like, you know what? I'm going to show pity or mercy upon you. And I'm going to forgive your debt. He goes, I'm not going to make you even pay it off. And I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be that dumb gracious towards you. Right? And so you would think the man would walk away excited, happy. So what it says is he walks away and he leaves after being forgiven a huge amount of debt that he never could have paid back. And he sees one of his young homies, right? My translation. And one of the young homies owes him like, you know, the equivalent of a snicker, right? And he's like, where's my money? He's like, I don't got it, man. And it says that he began to start choking this man, right? Like literally in the scriptures, he starts choking him. Now, I don't know if he was choking him like this or if he was choking him like that. I'm not sure how they did it in Hebrew. But the point is, he was choking him. And one of the king's, a few of the king's servants witnessed it. And they're like, wait, isn't that the guy who owed the king and the king forgave his debt? This is ridiculous. So they go back to the king and they say, king, you won't believe this. The guy who you let go, the guy who owed you all that money, he's choking some guy out over a snicker, right? And the king comes and he looks at him and says, this is enough. I did this to you. I thought that you would actually go, in our language, we would say pay it forward, but you didn't. He goes, therefore, I'm throwing you in jail, and you ain't never getting out, right? And then Jesus says, if you've been forgiven, you should forgive, right? So he tells this beautiful parable. And the point there in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 is, if you've received this grace, how could you not give it away? 
that if God is truly your father and he loves you because he loves you, so much so that he would extend his grace to you, not by anything of your own merit or anything that you did, not because of what potential you had to give to the kingdom, but simply because he loved you and he forgives you past, present, and future in the work of his son Jesus, that you acknowledge that you are spiritually poor, that you acknowledge your brokenness, and that you come to the Lord and trust that it is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. All of this of grace, because when you um, interact with others, don't you think that you should be gracious as well? He assumes that. And in that assumption, here's what he says in chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He starts off by saying, you got to understand now, when you're living in the, in the context of people, there are going to be people who do some things that are inconsistent with the reality of what they say they believe in Christ. Because when that happens, he says, judge not. Now, here's the thing about this verse. This is easily the most quoted verse in the Bible from people who don't believe in the Bible, right? Like this is, this is that verse where like somebody could have never gone to church. It's like, oh, I think in the scripture somewhere it says, judge not lest you be judged. And you ever notice they always quote it in the King James Version, right? Like, lest, lest not you. Le- When's the last time you used the word lest in your normal vocabulary, right? Now, here's why. Because when they say, well, here, let's start first with why that could be. One, let's just be honest. For those of us who are part of the church and part of the family of God, and we have to own all the sins that we do and the sins of the people who are part of the family. This is the way it is. We're family. So when one Christian does one thing, it's like we did it. You can't say, well, they go to a different church because chances are they'll be at this church next week anyway, right? And so, so that, that's family. We judge people. We judge people in the way that God tells us not to. We do it. We do it with our actions. We do it with our words. We do it with our Facebook. We do it with our Twitter, right? We, we judge people. I mean, just a silly example is I grew up in a church where my pastor would always say, come as you are, right? Come as you are. And that usually meant, like, whatever you want to wear to church, wear to church. But that wasn't true, right? You had to, like, what? Like, my mom used to say, yeah, you know, the pastor said, come as you are. Sunday morning, we'll roll around, I'm like, all right, I'm going to church. And I'd throw on some shorts and some chucks or something like that. And she was like, uh-uh, boy, you ain't going to church like that. I'm like, the pastor said, come as you are, not you. And it's like... <laughs> Man, this is not working, right? And it is. And you'd walk, you'd, you'd have, I remember we'd have people coming to the church, and if they were, you know, dressing inappropriate or whatnot, there was always like an older lady that would see us, mm, right? That, mm, that was a judge. That was, I'm not going to say it, but I'm, mm, right? And the translation of that is, no, she didn't, right? And so, so that, 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 that was just, even, even in the context where come as you are, come as you are, not really. Like, that's a silly way to communicate the fact in the even bigger ways that we judge. Now, what is Jesus talking about when he says don't judge? Um, one, he's not talking about don't have opinions. He's not saying don't be, uh, don't be critical. He's not saying that we shouldn't have thoughts. The judging here is do not pronounce condemnation upon someone. He says do not pronounce condemnation on somebody. Because in the way that you do it, he goes, I could do it to you. Because he is ultimately the judge. That he is the one who can pronounce condemnation. And someone said earlier, okay, why can't we pronounce condemnation? Really simple, guys. We're not God. That's it, right? Write it down, right? Here, here it is. We, ha- we do not have the ability, and hopefully not even the desire, to pronounce condemnation on people who we did not create. We are created in the image of God. We submit ourselves to his authority and his reign and his rule. It doesn't mean that we don't say what's right is right, and we don't say what's wrong is wrong. We do that. 
Because that's truthful, and that's loving, and that's caring. We're going to get to that. What he's talking about is do not bring about condemnation upon people. As you were living in community with people, as you were walking alongside people, understand this grace in which you were saved. God did not come to you and say, here's condemnation, you have no chance. But what we learn in the scriptures, he says, now in Christ Jesus, therefore there is no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus took it on our behalf. We didn't get rid of it. God did. And if we find ourselves the recipients of that sort of grace, all Jesus is saying is, live it out. That it's a vertical responsibility of faith before God, and it's a horizontal responsibility as we walk lovingly alongside and with other people who have received this grace so that many, many more may understand and live in and experience the sweetness and the beauty of the graces in the Lord. Now, if we become judgmental, that's not going to happen because we're trying to play the role of God and, and ultimately... God is the only one who is the judge. In fact, there was a poet out of Southern California who said it best this way. (laughs) Only God can judge me. Tupac Shakur. (laughs) To live and die in L.A. So so here's what we we have here. This is a true story. So uh, about five, six years ago, my wife and I were watching a movie called Poetic Justice. You've never seen Poetic Justice? It's a good movie. And I said, hey, look, there's Janet Jackson. You know, that's Janet Jackson, right? She goes, yeah, I know Janet Jackson. Because we grew up different, and I'm like, don't want to be condescending to her and stuff. And I said, okay, but do you know who that is? And she says, uh, no, who's that? I said, that's Tupac. She goes, that's Tupac. I said, yeah, that's Tupac. And she kind of got quiet for a while. And she looked over, and she said, so Tupac's not Mexican? <laughs> and I looked, I was like, what? And I'm like, what? I thought, how did this not come out in premarital counseling? Like, we should have talked about this already. Like, we got married, and I didn't know that you didn't know Tupac. What? How does this happen, right? Now, here's a question. Are you judging her right now for not knowing that? That's, that, that's the question. No. There, there, tu, Tupac, it was like, what? Tupac was right, and he was wrong. So on one hand, he has, only God can judge me, truly, that only God can bring about condemnation. And he is a judge. Um, however, we are called to come alongside and point out error in our lives. So there's a moment in which we judge, but it's not a judging and condemnation. It's a judging and caring, lovingly walk alongside people. Jesus says, do not judge because he's the one who's judging. And he is talking actually to followers of Jesus that he's still a judge. Yes, he's a father, but he's also a judge. But what does it look like for us to lovingly, experiencing God's grace, come alongside others in community? And we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I think Jesus is reaching back into his carpentry days, and he's trying to just give us a picture. He's going, why is it that you are trying to get this little bitty speck in your brother's eye? when you have like a tree hanging out of yours, right? And, and, and the, the, the picture there that he's saying is, have you dealt with who you are? <laughs> like, do you acknowledge that you think that other people are the people who need Jesus when you yourself constantly need Jesus? And I think a lot of that is, um, I would say, bad theology and what we think about God. Here, here's what I mean. When it comes to grace, this unmerited favor of God, we sing about, that we talk about, we don't understand it that it is something we need for the totality of our lives. Meaning, the, the way I think of it this way is, is if we're trying to get a job, like there's, this, there's this, this place we want to work at, but we're not qualified, we're not going to be able to get in, but we found out that the owner of the organization, we know his son, and his son could hook us up. 
And so as we go to his son, his son says, listen, man, I, you know, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my life out there for you and so forth that you can get this job. And so the son gets us the job, and then we get into the job, and the son is like, all right, I got you here. Now it's on you to figure out what to do in this particular company. And then some of us, when we get into the company, we're like, thank you, son, thank you. And then we get in, and some of us go, this is impossible for me to meet the requirements that I have. There's no way. And you, you feel yourself failing over and over and over again. And then there's some of us who get in, and for whatever reason, we could do really good at it. And so we find ourselves in the position where we sometimes become arrogant. <laughs> and here's what I mean by this. When we understand the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, that we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God apart from Jesus, that we love that grace, that we enter into and through the work of Christ. And then we believe that the rest of our Christian life in which we live and work out um, in the kingdom of God, that we think it's up to us. And there are some of us, just the way we're wired, that we cannot live up to the morality, that we do not live up to the standards that we're constantly falling on our face over and over again, that we begin to even question our, salva- our salvation. There's this inferiority that we left Christ, we don't, we're not really trusting in his grace anymore, we're, we're trusting in our own works, and we fail and we fail and we fail. But then on the flip side of that spectrum, is another side of not trusting in grace, is that you're actually good at it. You are a natural rule follower, and you know how to follow the rules, and you're good. And there are some people in this world that are just made like that, like you're just built like that. Like some of you are just natural sweethearts, right? And, and, and some of us aren't. I mean, I look at the way God graciously brought me and my wife together. Take the spirit out of us. Um, my life and Holly, we're different. Like, I will naturally not listen, right? And so here's what my mom would say about me. When this boy was, like, when mom talks about me when we're around the family table, she says, you know, he was, he was bad. Like, this is a bad kid. You know, we knew he was going to be bad from the day one. I'm like, would you guys say that around me? Was that, like, something you were prophesizing over me or something? And, and it would be, I would lie, and, and I would lie and lie and lie until they brought proof. Now, maybe it was because, like, you know, guilty until proven, you know, innocent until proven guilty, right? And it's like, well, here's your glove. I'm like, that's not my glove, <laughs> right? And so that was, that was <laughs> right? And where my wife, on the other hand, she's a natural rule follower. And some of you are like that. Like, you see the stop sign, and you stop, right? You don't roll through it. You don't roll through that stop sign that you drive into the church, knowing that there's kids driving around, running around here. You stop there, all right? And, and she does that. So when her mom shares a story about, like, the one time she ever got a spanking in her life, guys, one time. I'm like, what? I can't remember a time in my life growing up, right? And so her mom says, yeah, we were at the zoo, and she was about five or six, and the sign on the glass said, you know, with bees, don't touch the glass. Don't touch the glass. And just a rebellious heart of hers, she touched it, all right? Now, you know, to each his own, right? And then she got home that night, and they were saying their prayers, and she goes, Mom, I got to tell you, I killed the bees. So what bees? She goes, it said don't touch the glass, and I touched it, and she cried, and she was broken, and and it was like, what? (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? I would have broke that glass so fast, right? There, there's, this, there's this sense of going, that we're just, we are just wired differently. The point of God's grace is not that Jesus gets us in the kingdom and then we go back to our own personalities and how we're wired naturally. Is that Jesus, in, we enter the kingdom through his grace supernaturally that he extends to us. And the way we grow in the kingdom, the way that we obey, the way that we live out in righteousness is not trusting in ourselves. That was a problem to begin with. It's to continue to trust in the same son, the same grace, the same power, the same spirit, the same love of the Father that got us in there in the first place. That's why Jesus is saying, he that began a good work will finish it until completion. Not that he who applied and knew the son got in and figured it out. 
No, he, our Father, who began a good work in us, through the work of his son Jesus, continued by his spirit, will finish it until completion. And when you understand that sort of grace, you realize you weren't just a sinner before you begin to know Jesus. You're still a sinner. And if we're honest, if, you, if you're anything like me, you sometimes, if you can use this as a visual, you understand that before I was a Christian and I began to acknowledge my sin before the Lord, like I understood how wicked and flawed my heart was, right? And you got how God can forgive you of all the sins that you've committed over here. But then you become a Christian and you come to the cross and then you get over here on this side of the cross and you would think that those sins would stay over there. You would think that those desires would stay over there. You would think that those actions would stay over there, but guess where they're at? They're here. They're still here. And, you, and yours, yours may not be the same as others, but we are still sinners. What Jesus is talking about is people like us who subconsciously rate sins, right? Like if you're, if you're in this sort of sin, you're in sexual sin, like you're way over here. And so um, um, we're going to put this up here and maybe another sin here. But if you're way over here and you're just a self-righteous person over here, right, we're, we're, you know, we can judge you. That's what he's talking about, is the people that go, man, that person needs grace, as if they don't need grace. Like, that person needs a Savior, as if they don't need a Savior. He's saying, do you understand that there was a log hanging out of your eye you can barely see, and yet you see the little bitty speck? That has more to do with you, Right? I mean, think about that just, just in reality. To notice a speck in somebody's eye means you're looking for it. You're looking for it. We are not the spiritual police. Somebody earlier at the 9 o'clock was like, say it again. And I said, we are not the spiritual police. Right? Because <laughs> I was like, thank you. Right? That, that seriously, we're not going around with the flashlight, you know, scorpion hunting for sin. It's going like, where, where are you at? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, acknowledge your own brokenness. Now, here's where he says for us to lean in the community, though, in, in which we're not good at, guys. Honestly, we're just not. Because we, see, we read a passage like this, and we naturally go, you're right. I need to look at my own brokenness, and I got a log in my eye. And Jesus says it. I need to remove that log before I can ever go to a speck. He's not saying literally, once you're done removing all the sin in your life, go to someone else. Guys, that's never going to happen, right? That's never going to happen. Like, you don't become a Christian and you go from here, oh, I'm sinning less, I'm on here, I'm here, I get to the top, and Jesus is like, come on up, right? He just gives, right? No, that, 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 that's not what happens here. And in fact, the more and longer we walk with Christ, the more we realize even more how wicked and flawed we are. And we realize, man, there's not anything that I can't do, like negatively, apart from the grace of God. And I better remain here because if I lean to the right or the left, I got problems, He's saying when you acknowledge that in your own brokenness, then you lovingly come alongside, but you do come alongside. You do point out the speck. He doesn't say just wait. No, no, He says you point out the speck. Hear me on this. You are not a good, no, let me say it this way. You are a terrible friend if you never point out the speck in their eye. I'm serious. You are a, not like you're not being a good, I'm gonna, I want you to hear it clearly. You are a horrible friend to say that you love somebody and you won't lovingly come along the fight that's aside that person, acknowledge your own brokenness, um, acknowledge the gentleness that you need to come alongside and say, here are some areas that I have to tell you because I love you. And the reason why we don't do that has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with our selfish selves. I might lose a relationship. They might think something bad of me. Or even worse, you know when you point something out with somebody, you got to stay with them until they get it taken care of. 
You, gotta be, you can't say, here's an area that's not good in your life and <laughs> see you later, right? No, 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 no. And I'm with you in it. And you're going to allow for that person to be in it with you, with you. Does it hurt a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's a part of living in the kingdom. It's not acknowledging that you got it together. Listen, we became Christians because we admitted that we can't <laughs> and that we needed the help of Jesus. We grow as Christians by admitting that we can't and we need the help of Jesus. And that's how we continue this life until Jesus comes and restores all things. Amen? So, so when's the last time you came along some, somebody and pointed out their sin as a brother, as a sister in the Lord? Lovingly. <laughs> Lovingly. Right? Not a text. You better not text somebody. Right? Right? And here's the other thing. And I get it because I'm, you know, I get it. Not as a joke. You can joke around, it's fine. But if you're ready to get real, you got to say all jokes aside, girl. And then you got to get into it. And I shouldn't have done that because then that was kind of like a joke. Um, you got to look at her or him and lovingly tell them the truth. Now, let's go back, keep back to Jesus' metaphor here. How would you take a speck out of somebody's eye? Like, how do we do that? You don't take a speck. You don't walk up somebody in their eye and go, hey, there's a speck in your eye and just reach in there and try to get it, right? Like, nobody wants to do that. If you've ever taken anything out of somebody else's eye, how do you do it? You say, calm down. I got it. Like, there's something in your eye. Let me just, I got you. No, no, no. It's cool. Trust me. I'm good. Do you know what you're doing? No, but I stayed in the Holiday Inn last night, right? <laughs> and then you open up that eye and you look in there. You say, look to the, oh, there it is. Look this way. Okay, I'm going to get it. First, you try to blow. <laughs> then do anything. All right? And then you, you graciously pick that thing out, right? There's care. And there's got to be care when you come alongside with people. First confrontation I ever had, there was a guy in the ministry that I was a part of. I was probably 23 years old at the time. And, uh, and this guy was probably like 31. And for whatever reason, when you're 23, you're not really trying to confront somebody that's 31 because you're like, that's old. Now that I'm almost 34, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, that's real young, <laughs> right? And this guy was doing what I would say the, manipul the manipulating guy thing. And girls do it too. But this, since he was a guy, it's a guy thing. And he was doing the, like he would go to girls and say, hey, what are you up to tonight? And they would say, well, I don't know. Okay, that means you can come out with me. All right, guys, if that's your game plan, you got no game, right? And that's very manipulating because then it puts people in a position that they have to say yes, not because they want to, because you trick them, right? You don't want to trick anybody to hanging out with you. And if you do, that's a problem. That's a speck, right? And so, so I was complaining about it to the person who was discipling. I'm like, man, he keeps doing this and he does it with guys. He's like, hey, what do you get? He would say things like, Ricardo, you want to hang out? Oh, no, you, you probably don't have time to hang out because you're probably going to be with your cool friends and I'm just not cool enough, right? And it make you feel like, man, dang it. And that, you know, it's just, it's manipulating. And so I was telling the person who was discipling this, he goes, so what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you need to confront him. I'm like, no, no, he'll get over it. Uh, I think he's getting better. He's trying to grow, actually. Besides, I got this log in my eye. I can't, I don't have time for that, <laughs> right? And, and the reality of it is, my, the person who was mentoring and discipling me said, I'm going to ask you every day until you go and sit down, buy this man coffee, and tell him how much you love him, and tell him what he's doing, the effects that it has on people, and walk him through it. The next day, hey, did you do it? And I'm like, no, but, and then I finally called the guy and said, all right, let's do it. Sat down with him, and I lovingly said, here's what you do. Here's how it makes us feel. Um, here's what it comes off as. And he was like, man, I didn't really even know I did that, so, so how could you help me? And I said, okay, when I'm with you and I see you doing it, I'm just going to pull you aside, and not in front of everybody else, and I'm going to say, hey, that, that was it right there. Okay. Yeah, she doesn't really want to go out. No. 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 You're right. Okay. Good? All right. Right? And it was great. 
It was great. Now, we've had, and you will have many confrontations till then, but it has to be done in a loving way. And then you got to be able to receive it as well. And if you're like me, you don't receive it well right away. Like, I never, when someone points out something, oh, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? Usually I'm like, oh, okay, you're going to tell me this. And then I walk away, and it's, sometimes it's usually pretty fast for me because when I can process it in my head, then I go, wow, thank you. Right? Like, you know what that's like to, be, to have somebody say, wow, you love me that much that you will tell me that? Right? You love me enough that you would actually point me to the truth? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so I don't know what the context is within your community, but, but if you have people in your life that you know God's saying, listen, here's something that, whether it be small or big, it's a speck. How do you come in your own brokenness with God's grace, with the, the favor that you've been given from Jesus and lovingly walk around alongside that person, whether it's gossip and you're finding yourself in the gossip realm, right? And you know how Christians, you know how you gossip, right? You gossip. All of us do. And we try to over-spiritualize. And I'm only telling you this so you can pray about it. <laughs> no. That you just, you just, hey, no, we're not going there. That's a speck, Right? whether it's judging or try to pronounce condemnation upon people, whatever it may be. For us, honestly, in our church and in this room, it's honestly, guys, it's the sexual sin area. The speck that most of us are walking around with is the fact that we don't honor God with our sexuality. We don't, right? And, and, and it's not just a single thing, but it is a single thing. And what I mean by that is some single things, once I get married, you know, it's going to take care of that. Uh, no. <laughs> Word from the future. No. Right? Uh, the, 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 the whole deal of I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to be in his kingdom. And then when it comes to every area of my life, I'm going to line it up under the lordship of Christ. But when it comes to my sexuality, that's mine. Then you're really not living in the kingdom. You were bought at a high price that you are no longer your own, but you belong both body and soul and word and truth to our Lord Jesus Christ. And either you trust that what he says is good and you follow him because he's such a good loving God or you don't. And then what I'm saying is not even that person, it's the friends. That you know your sister, you know your brother, you know your friends are walking in that area, and you know you struggle with it too, and you're almost afraid what they would say about you, and so you don't, you're not honest with them. Let me tell you again, you're a terrible friend. That when I first became a Christian, and this guy Eli, who my youngest son is named after, he would go, he would, he would go hard at me, like, hey, what'd you do last night? I was hanging out with some friends, no, 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 who's you with? Some friends, no, tell me her name. How'd you know, how'd you know I was with a girl? Because when you say you're with your friends that are boys, you always say with my boys, and when you're with girls, you always say my friends. Oh, I got to correct that, right? What were you guys doing? What was happening? I mean, he was just asking me the questions. Hey, man, let me tell you what the scriptures say. It bothered me to the point where I didn't want to be around him, because I knew, it was, but I knew what he was doing. He was loving me, right? And so I came under, under ultimately not his authority. He was pointing me to the authority and the beauty and the goodness of the Lord. He loved me. I had four or five other Christian friends that never said a word to me. A word to me. You're not loving people if you're not ultimately broken off your own sin, responding to God's grace, and then responding to his grace to go to the people around you. Do you love people enough to tell them the truth? Because God loved us enough to tell us the truth. God loved us enough in Christ to give us the truth. God loved us enough to give us his word. And if we are people who are going to reflect that glory, then we have to lovingly come alongside others. Amen?
So Jesus closes up this section here. It, it would have been good if he would have closed at verse 5, but then he kind of takes a turn. He's like, don't judge people, don't judge people, love your brother. And then he says this in verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and, and turn and attack you. And it's like, dang, did Jesus just kind of go postal a little bit? Because at first he was like, do not judge, do not judge. You know, you got a log, there's a speck, but listen, man, there's some dogs out there, there's some pigs out there, and just, you know, it's like, whoa, what, what's going on here, Jesus? He's talking about um, dogs were, and not like, dom like domestic animal dogs, right? Jesus is not saying that he doesn't love dogs or he doesn't like dogs. I've said that. Jesus is not saying that, right? He, he, and he's not talking about your pets that you love and you treat like humans and whatever, right? He's talking about wild dogs here. And he was saying if you give good things to them, they're not going to know what to do with it. They're going to run through it. And he talks about pigs, and pigs were unclean animals for them as Hebrew people, and they were just, they're just dirty animals. They, they still are to this day. And he says, don't, you don't give pearls to pigs, right? Because pigs, they'll think they're corn nuts or something, and they'll just eat them, right? They're not, they're not going to appreciate it. And what he's saying is the first section and understanding the log and the speck, you're going to a brother or sister, and you're holding out the gospel so they may repent and return and trust in the grace of God. And he says, now this is when you go out to the world of people who do not trust and know Jesus, and he says, not everybody, but some people will lovingly receive it or they'll still lovingly be in a relationship with you. He goes, but there are going to be some who flat out reject and even in violent ways the beauty, the holy things of God. That you as a people and we as a people in a community, that there are people who will flat out reject what we say is beautiful, right, and true. And he says, and it, when it comes to that, there are moments in time where you go, I've tried and I've tried and i tried. But Jesus says, you are free to step back. Now hear me on that. Um, I don't think our problem is we've shared the gospel so much, right? Like, we've been evangelizing so much, right? Not, not, not at all. I don't think there's anybody who's saying, I, I, honestly, my boss is telling me, listen, you are doing too much evangelizing. Um, could you go back to work? No, no, no. Um, so I don't think that we should take this and apply this tomorrow just because one person who we've shared the gospel with said, I don't believe it. No, no, no. He's saying, if you go again and again and again and again, and it's not us who are rejecting the people, right? It's ultimately people who don't trust God who are rejecting God. We don't ultimately own the gospel. It is God's good news to the whole world. We've just been left here to be witnesses in word and deed that people may get in on something we believe, that they may experience the same life and love that we've experienced, that they may be able to know the acceptance and the approval of a father through the work of his son in whom he's given us. And we did not become Christians because we were smarter. We were more likely. We became Christians because of God's grace and His Spirit, and we pray that for others. He's just given us the reality that some people will hate it. And some people will hate you for talking about it. Some people will hate, hate it for you living out the way that you live. But we have to realize, ultimately, we're not living for the approval of people. That was a few weeks ago. That ultimately, we live from the approval that we have in our Father. And the holy things of God that we have in Christ Jesus, we cherish. And there will be some people who will treat it like a wild dog, and there will be some people who will treat it like a wild pig. But ultimately, for those of us who are being saved, those of us who are living in the life of love of God, it is our most holy, beautiful things that brings about life and transformation that ultimately reflect the glory of God to each other. We lovingly walk alongside and we understand our own brokenness and how our Father has loved us supremely in Christ that our, even our darkest sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have done and all that you were doing in the context of the body of believers here, in the context of the life of the community in, in this city and throughout this world. 
We thank you for the spirit that you've given us, Lord, that testifies with our spirits that we are sons and daughters. The spirit that opens up and enlightens eyes that may see the truth of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we get an opportunity this evening to witness, Lord, uh, the transformation in which you are doing and that's taking part in the lives of people in this, in this family. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before your grace, receiving and understanding our own sin and our need of you. And Father, help us to lovingly come alongside others. God, I pray that we would not become numb to sins. But Lord, ultimately, Lord, we'd be sensitive to you and your truth and your presence. Father, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.